my sales comes from dropping off cookbooks when I was 16, 17. My leadership came from some of the things I learned in the military. So every aspect of my life, whether I failed or succeeded, I try to take a component from it. And then I, I add that component to me to try to make a better me. And who I am today, basically, I need to be accountable for who I'm going to be 10 years from now. Because I don't want Matthew Frederick, 66 years old, to be pissed off at Matthew Frederick, 56 years old, for not taking the time to think through and be deliberate at what he does. So I'm holding myself accountable to my future self. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey guys, it's Jose and Khadija Jafarji, and we have the pleasure of speaking with Matthew Frederick today. With 31 years of experience in real estate investing, there is not a strategy that Matthew has not executed. His vast portfolio spans across residential, commercial, and new development. Matthew is such a positive, upbeat guy who has a great outlook on life and business. He has persevered and created his own success and pivoted so many times in his career. It's really great to hear about his early years of hustling and the idea of having expectations of excellence from an early age. He is a wealth of knowledge and offers a wide lens perspective on real estate investing and the market in general that spans his 30 plus years of experience. I am sure you will learn so much from him as we did in this great conversation. So here's Matthew Frederick. Hello and uh, welcome to the podcast. I have Matthew Frederick on the show today. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. We're really looking forward to chatting with you today. So I'm going to get just started and right in there. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now, what a day in the life of Matthew Frederick looks like, um, what's going on with you? Well, first of all, it's great to be here and I'm honored uh, that you selected me. A day for me it's different today than it was, let's say, two years ago, 10 years ago. I'm 56. I'll be 57 years old uh, in January. I've been investing since I was 19, but really heavily by the time I got to 24. So because I've, I've had a chance to do a lot of uh, building and buildings and deal with tenants, I didn't really have um, mentors there for me in the beginning. So I did a lot of things the hard way. And what it does, it wears down your, your cartilage. It wears down your bones. So when you get to my stage, the fact is, because I have a lot of properties, uh, multifamilies and strip plazas and properties, my day looks like I wake up, I do my exercise, I read uh, a verse from my Bible, I then learn Spanish for an hour, I pretty much drink about, uh, about, a, about a liter of cinnamon tea, and then I start my day. And my day starts by looking at my meetings from uh, the last week, reviewing some of the things that I've actually talked about, reviewing my conversations mentally. Because sometimes when you look at a conversation that you had the week before, you look at it again, it's more clear. Because when I'm talking to people, I make little notes. So I look through my notes, and that's about probably 30 minutes. And then I may start making some phone calls. And those calls are always to the people who I have in position to do a lot of the heavy lifting for me. My day is not a day where I have a, a big schedule. When people call me, it's usually because it's an emergency. So I can tell you that on Monday morning, it might be a very easy day or it might be pure hell because I don't get the calls unless there's a fire or there is something crazy happening in the building. So, so my days are very fluid that way. No, nice, nice. Uh, let's um, 
let's take a, a moment to go back in history when like your background and i i from a, i know that you were in the canadian armed forces how you got into real estate and bought your first property well interesting enough when i was 16 i started a, a book delivery company now this is back in 1981 the internet just started in 1981 it was the first time 1980-81 what i would do i would drop cookbooks off to businesses so i go to offices i'll drop a cookbook off to the receptionist i'll say to her in most cases it was a female back then i would say you know what uh, if you can sell this for me show it around sell it for me 14 dollars this one will be yours and then i would just call that person back in about uh four or five days and pretty much they would collect the money i would have the books in my car i would bring the books to them and that's how it, that's that's what i would do interesting enough four years later by the time I was 19, I had about $80,000 saved up from my book business wow. in order to buy my first property. And I bought my first property at 19. I couldn't get a mortgage. I still needed my parents to co-sign, even though I bought my property with about probably 70% down. And that's how I started in real estate. But I didn't plan to be an investor. I just, I'm an immigrant. I came here in, in uh, grade, actually 1972. I was about seven years old. And when you come to Canada, you want to own a piece of Canada. So by the time I was 16, I knew I would save up for a house. By the time I was 19, I got my property. And that property had a basement apartment, and it had a kitchen, and it had a main floor and a second floor, which where I lived. The kitchen was a common kitchen, yet everything else was separate. So I guess today, maybe they call it house hacking. Back in those days, I called it share kitchen, right? Yeah. And ultimately... I never was going to buy a property again. I, I had my property. By the time I was 24 and a half, 25, I was a teacher. My brother was a police officer and he came to me and said, hey, I want you to invest in real estate. I go, I'm not going to do that. I have my house. And he says, I'm your older brother. I have a gun. Listen to me. And so he pulled me into real estate investing. I didn't want to be shot. So that's how I became an investor. But when I was 17, 18, I joined the military, the reserves, which was part-time, to be a soldier in the Canadian Armed Forces Reserve while I was going to school taking computer systems. Because I, I knew I wanted to go into computers, but I wanted to learn some command and control. I wanted to learn some discipline. I wanted to see the bigger picture. And I wanted to serve my country too. And um, it was in interesting just really quickly because in the military, 100% of your time is controlled. They tell you when to eat, where to eat, what to wear, how to wear it. And I realized right away, I don't like being controlled 100% of the time. Then when I graduated, when I was 22-ish, I got... Uh, to the Bank of Montreal, I was a programmer, and that was great, it's a big company, 40-year career it could have been, but again, it was like 75% control. I had to show up, I had to sit at my desk for the entire time, and I had to program the things they wanted me to program. So I knew that I couldn't take the 100% control from the military, I knew I couldn't take the office control, and I knew at some point I had to break out. So my brother told me, okay, you know what, invest, I said I would do it, now, it did take me another 12 years before I was able to leave my job, though. So that's, a, that's how I started in real estate. Wow. So, you know, going and maybe this is the mother in me. Uh, I, you know, I have young children, but it's, it's fascinating to me that, you know, you had such a strong head on your shoulders at such a young age. Um, you know, if I may sound stereotypical, you look at a lot of the young folks around us today and uh, you don't quite see that, right? What would you say were your early influences? Like what, what, what guided you and, and how did you become so focused and motivated and um, you entrepreneurial, know, entrepreneurial and, and yeah, like even know what, what to do and how to do it at, at such a young age? Is, was there other pulling forces or mentors or who was it around you that was helping you? Well, first of all, when I came to Canada, again, I was seven. My parents told me, you know, you're a visible minority. You're from the Caribbean. And when you come to Canada, you want to work twice as hard to get as far. So I never had the option not to do good in school because my parents, they sold everything they had and they came up here to give us a new life. When someone does that, you know that you can't just do nothing. So I knew I had to do something, first of all. Now, back in the 70s, 72 to 80, it was a bit more difficult being a visible minority because I was the only person. I was the only, let's say, 
brown skin or the only black person in my entire school or in my entire grade. And uh, when people wanted to bug somebody, they bugged me. And I realized quick time that, you know what, I'm different. I'm someone's friend when they want to be a friend and not when they didn't. I realized that when I went to friends' houses, their parents would be a bit afraid of me. Maybe I might steal something. When I went into the pool to swim, uh, kids left the pool <laughs> because they didn't want the brown on my skin to rub off. So I had a lot of time to reflect, to sit back and say to myself, you know what? I'm kind of much on my own. And I cannot depend on the system like everybody else can. So I have to be a little bit more different. And I literally have to sit back and be more aware of my surroundings. And uh, everybody has gone through something tough in life. The kid who was too tall or too short or the kid with uh, the crooked spine. So everybody has something. I'm not any different. But that was my issue, that I had to be different. I had to sit back and I had to observe. And watching the most popular people or watching the ones who are not, being more aware of people, that gave me an idea to be more self-sufficient younger. So to me, it was a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what? Uh, when that early hustle is so important, I think, because um, it's hard to develop that once you get comfortable with a job and, and you get your paychecks and, and that's you know, life just happens. And, and when you have kids, right? Like yeah. everything changes. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That early hustle. But, you know, just as parents, we always ask ourselves, like, what is it that we can do to instill that hustle in our kids in a world of Amazon Prime and Uber Eats and everything instant gratification at our fingertips, right? So, you know, that was a, was a, a question that that I wanted to know is, hey, like, what did, what did your parents do to get you to, or, or what is it about your, your childhood, you know, that helped you become, and, and that's a great answer. I think that's actually a very important question, though. But what it was, was there was an expectation. Now, I could do whatever I want in life, but they expected me to do better. And I just knew that I had to do better. And I think that sort of helped me to do better. The expectation of excellence. Yeah, you know, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, that's actually really powerful. It's I think that's a powerful tidbit right there. That expectation, and there's nothing wrong in having the moral of the story is there's nothing wrong in having expectation of your children. You should have high expectations of them. Exactly. Yeah. So Matthew, you know, you've been employing so many different strategies like development going into commercial, multifamily, and plazas, and uh, raising capital, and investing in the U.S. You've done so many different strategies and asset classes. Has there been one or, or two specific types of asset classes that you, know, you prefer still at this point, and, and maybe others that you regretted buying? so far in your career? Yeah, that's a very in interesting question. So I'll answer it to sh show you or tell you why I've done so many strategies. At the same time, I'll tell you what asset class that I really like if I were to start over again. Now, um, like right now, a lot of people are doing BRRRR, buy, renovate, you know, rent, refinance. Now, some people who are investors, they say, you know what, I love BRRRR, I'm going to do BRRRR for the rest of my life. But they've only been investing for about under 10 years. I've been investing for over 30 years. And I learned that certain strategies only work in a season. And that season might be a 10-year season. Let me give an example. Right now, you can get an interest rate maybe 2%, maybe better. And properties have been appreciating 16% a year because inventory is very low. Well, in 2007, the interest rates was 5.7%. So you're not going to be cash flowing trying to do a burr the exact same way you would if the interest rates were 2%. And at the same time, back in those days, for 80% of my life of investing, properties appreciated 5% a year, not 16%. And even if you renovated the property, appraisers were so conservative that if a property was worth half a million dollars last year, even if you put $100,000 into it, they were so afraid to up the value that you couldn't do Burr 
at the number of how people are doing it today. You'd have to buy a property, put somebody in there, wait three years for it to go up in value before you even were to refinance it. Right. So at different times in my life, I did different strategies. I did uh, rent-to-owns, but rent-to-owns always worked really well when I came out of a bad market. And I can say to somebody, the house that you're going to buy, because you came out of a bad market also, and you were injured uh, credit-wise, but you want to live in a better neighborhood, the house you want to buy, it's going to be so much more higher. And I can say that when the market is low, because there's so much room to predict a higher value in the future. But when you're at the top of the market, how do you tell somebody, okay, you're going to pay this much more for your property in three years when you don't even know where the market's going to be in three years? So I tried different strategies depending on different seasons as I was going through my life. And because I've been investing so long and in so many different areas that I've had to apply different strategies. Now, you know, if I were to do it again, I have no problem with houses, but I like larger. Because if I'm saying to myself, one house, $500 cash flow, that house cost me $500,000, let's just say. Well, to get to 6000 a month, that's 500 times 12 to get 6000 cash flow. That's half a million dollar houses times 12. That's close to $5 million. Geez, I might as well buy a building instead of buying 12 little houses or having 12 roofs or 12 mortgages to deal with or 12 fences to fix, 12 different locations. So most likely what I would do today, I would look for a multifamily building, perhaps 12 or 24 unit, or I might partner with somebody who's building one in order to have at least a, a seat at the table so that at least I'm, I'm watching it being built. I'm there learning the process at the same time, or if not learning it, but having some control, or I might do multifamily. And if I don't have money for multifamily, I would bring in partners who have a lot of money, but no time. I would buy a couple multifamily buildings. I'd rather have two buildings where I co-own that brings in $6,000 than to have 12 houses. But it takes more confidence to do that. And that's harder to do. That's why you have to have the right people on your team in order to make that happen. So I'm okay with houses, but if I were to do it again, I would just get buildings. Yeah. Okay. So you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily go into um, like strip plazas, retail, or development, or, or you know, uh, and in, like you mentioned, you, you know, it's based on the market cycle, right? And Ontario versus Alberta might be in a different market cycle. So it, you know, there's a lot of variation to to that, but you. As of right now, you prefer multifamily. Right now, I prefer multifamily. Two years ago, I preferred strip plaza. As of probably next year, I would like multifamily or even some sort of a mix. And the reason why um, strip plaza is harder to finance this year and last year, uh, banks want to finance multifamily. And obviously, multifamily is the best of most worlds because people always need a place to live. And people don't always need a place to have a restaurant. So the combination of a safer way to go is always multifamily. Strip plaza is there, but in bad economic times, then there are issues with strip plazas. So I, I do like the multifamily. Probably in a couple of years, I might look more at the mixed use where I have some retail, but more multifamily. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about geography. Uh, where is it that you have invested and where are you investing right now? Now, for about 12 years, I was an international speaker. So from 1998 forward, I would travel to BC. I would travel like one weekend, I'd fly to BC and I'd speak to a group of 100 people. Next weekend, I'd fly to Alberta. Next weekend, to Saskatchewan, then to Manitoba, then to Arizona, um, even small places like Dayton, Ohio. I mean, when you fly into Dayton, Ohio, you get little tiny planes. And when you're flying through a storm, that thing's shaking, right? Like, I'm a grown man, 260 pounds, ex-military. I'm screaming, Mom, Mom. Very. Uh. But, you know, I mean, I, I've spoken in California. I've spoken in different places. So because I traveled to speak, I would stay an extra day, and I was able to hang out and see what real estate was there. 
So I bought in, in BC and I bought in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Arizona, and uh, Florida, which I like a lot. And I, 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 I do different strategies in each area, right? Now, Alberta, I like for the fact that I can increase my rents to whatever I want to increase it just by giving three months notice. So if you're paying a thousand bucks, I can make it $2,000 by giving you a three month notice. When I buy a property there, I don't have to do land transfer tax. And that's fine. But Alberta has a problem. Whenever the energy goes up, it's great. When it goes down, it's not. So right now, a lot of my houses out there are not getting any value. So Ontario, to me, has always been the most stable because in good times and bad times, I'm still doing okay. People always say to me, why don't you go to Saskatoon and buy houses for $100,000? Well, I bought $100,000 houses, but the tenant content in those houses negate the appreciation and the hassle that you have is tremendous. So I found myself buying expensive houses in Alberta and also in uh, Saskatoon. But again, you know what? I do like Ontario. BC is good, but they price themselves out of the market. And again, it's a three and a half, four hour flight. Actually, it's a five and a half hour flight. Right. So if you if you had to buy multifamily right now, and let's say like, uh, you know, um, mid-sized multifamily, where would you buy today? In 2021, seeing what has happened with the pandemic and you know as and you're you're fairly familiar with the Canada and the US where would you buy today so personally i still like hamilton i like uh, st catharines i like niagara i like brantford i like bradford i like um cambridge windsor is a bit i've done a lot of business in windsor but the drive to Windsor is a hell of a boring drive. And I find myself always falling asleep watching those windmills. So if I can avoid that three-hour drive to Windsor, I, I will. But if, if not, I would build there. So I still like the Southern Ontario Corridor. And I like a little place called Pembroke, which is out, uh, out east, closer to the Ottawa area. You will stay in the Ontario market uh, and not move to, not move your, you know, to U.S. or to Saskatchewan or um, other provinces? Well, I mean, my area of influence, where I have the most influence, is Ontario. And it's, it's easy to set up a team elsewhere. But I found with all the benefits of other areas where you have a lot cheaper values, there's always the flip side to it. Everything looks like the grass always looks green on the other side. I, you know, I've actually invested in, um, in Florida. I've invested in Cape Coral. You know, um, also uh, invested in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and things are great, but there's so many little quirks about those areas that you don't really see until you're actually investing there. So everything looks greener on the other side. And to save a dollar here, save a dollar there, sometimes it's not worth going that far. Now, every opportunity, you have to look at its own merits. Like, like in Arizona, I have uh, three houses there, but those are executive rental which means I provide a complete service and it's to a company and that company signs a two-year lease. I provide the, the, the chef. I provide the fitness instructor. I provide the masseuse, legitimate masseuse. I provide the lawn care. I provide the chauffeur. And those are all local businesses. And I package all that together so that I'm able to get sufficient money. So therefore, it's worth it for me to be out there. But if I just bought a property and had a family there, it's a real pain to go out there and solve that problem. For sure. Right. So everything looks greener on the other side. But I think the closer you are to where your home is, when it comes to building or even buying something bigger, I still like that. Obviously, I've bought in Nova Scotia in the past. I haven't been out there in a while. I'll have to check it out again. But I do like Ontario. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the biggest downside to multifamily, any kind of residential properties are, are the the rent controls that we have. Yes. Uh, and I mean, there's good and bad to that because because of that, we have uh, such low vacancies and no new construction uh, going on. So rental demand is always going to maintain strong for the foreseeable future. However, 
obviously, you know, you cannot increase the rents as fast as you want. And, you know, you sometimes you get stuck with tenants that are there for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, so that is one of the downsides to it. So I, I just why I, I was curious to ask you that question, like, would you still buy here? Yeah, I would still buy here. Now, mind you, even though I said I'm not crazy about building very far away, the best building that I have is in Sarasota, Florida. And that's far away. But the tax system is great. The rents are great. I have a great management. So I'm always careful to tell a person, if you have an opportunity that's far away, that's okay if there's a great system in place and there's great opportunity. I'm not afraid of, of doing anything in the distance. Right now, we're building in Belize. So distance is not, a, is not an issue for me, as long as there's a great system or team. And you're right. There's so many regulations, and it's getting harder and harder, I believe, that sometimes you want to just go somewhere and to build where it's a lot easier. And if you have the right system, it could be worth it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, you know, because you are so diversified and you're all over the place, um, tell me about how you build a team and how you manage those teams and how do you ensure that your investments are performing and, you know, being well cared for? Uh, how do you manage all that? Because that is uh, a lot of investors. I think that is, it's, it's a pretty scary thing, right? When you're not boots on the ground or when you're further away, how do you ensure that, you know, things are running the way that they need to be? Well, first and foremost, you have to have a quality called leadership. And leadership doesn't just come from reading a book on how to lead. You have to manifest leadership, the way you speak, the way you move, the way you have tones in your voice, the way when you speak, it is final. Like we're going to do this and that's the way it's going to be. So there's, there, there's, there's the leadership aspect of it that people expect that when you speak, you mean what you're saying. That's first, first and foremost. Secondly, I build my power teams myself. And I build my power teams in every province or state that I'm in. And a lot of people think just to have a power team is good. But if you were to ask um, a lawyer, uh, should I incorporate? That lawyer might say, yeah, sure, go right ahead for liability protection. But if you ask your bookkeeper, they'll say, well, no, wait, wait for three properties because you're spending so much money to in incorporate and you're filing so much stuff. When you ask your tax account, they might say, well, you better incorporate now because if you don't, you buy a property. Two years later, you want to incorporate, then you got to transfer into the property. You might trigger a land transfer tax. And then you talk to your insurance agent. and They'll say, well, maybe you shouldn't be a corporation right now because it might be too expensive for your policy. We talk to your mortgage agent. They'll be like, don't, don't incorporate because to get incorporated, if you're incorporated, you're going to have to do a lot more to get uh, you know, to prove the company is legit. You ask your realtor, the realtor says, I don't know, ask somebody else. Now, you have to be strong enough to listen to six people who are all telling the truth from how they see it. And you now have to have the knowledge, not just simple, I'm smart, but operational knowledge. That's why you have to have, let's say, a mentor or a partner. If you're going to invest money with somebody who's building something, they better have some years of experience or at least the ability to build a team. Because I'm buying into their leadership, right? You know, and you have to lead that team so that they can advise you. But you're the one who has the knowledge, but also the wisdom to be able to weed through that. Even something as simple when I'm doing my construction or I'm having people on site to do renovations. I make sure that the HVAC person and the plumber and the electrician who all think they're God I need to make sure that they know I'm boss. <laughs> yeah. And once they know I'm boss, because they tend to bully the rest of the people, then obviously I want the rest of the people to realize, don't come to me and cry to me, right? You know, drywall, don't complain to me about the HVAC guy. Let's work it out. So it's all leadership of people, not property. <laughs> it's people first. And once I create these systems and people know that I'm a strong leader, and I do care about them and I do have empathy, and I'm fair for as long as they realize that, but I do not mess around. And when I say something has to be done, it must be done. I don't want second, I want first. Then therefore, they give me their best. And that's how I'm able to maintain order all the way across the country. And it doesn't matter how far away it is because life imitates high school. People are people, right? You know, and that's how I set my systems up. And of course, I set a system up for my team, my, my construction, 
my uh, renovations, and any aspect that is required for that property, I'm there mentally. And I get phone calls when there's a problem, but I empower them and teach them their role so that they know what to do and they know how to report it back to me. I don't, I give these big, long answers, but that's generally what I do. You're, you're making, a, you, 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 you made some really great points there. And, uh, you know, I don't think we talk enough about leadership as often as we should. And, and there's so many other skills that make a great real estate investor or entrepreneur in general. And, and that's what, you know, I, I really commend you because you've, you're, you're such great at all of these other skills like negotiation and sales, marketing, leadership, you know, all of these play such an important role in making a great entrepreneur. And, um, you know, me personally sharing my experience, I've done some coaching with you and I've learned a ton from uh, just being part of your program. Well, interesting that you said that because my sales comes from dropping off cookbooks when I was 16, 17. My leadership came from some of the things I learned in the military. So every aspect of my life, whether I failed or succeeded, I try to take a component from it. And then I, I add that component to me to try to make a better me. And who I am today, basically, I need to be accountable for who I'm going to be 10 years from now. Because I don't want Matthew Frederick 66 years old to be pissed off at Matthew Frederick, 56 years old, for not taking the time to think through and be deliberate at what he does. So I'm holding myself accountable to my future self. Yeah, I know that. Which is really important, right? And to my daughter, who is 13, right? So I'm accountable to her. So going back to, you know, this. Uh, topic of coaching and I, Jose's done some work with you and I've heard a lot about some of the things you guys have worked on together. And I think this is something that everybody wants to know. Um, so you're working, you, you know, you've talked about Ontario, this preferred market. You sort of talked a little bit about your preference in terms of buying larger buildings. How do you find these deals? That's always the million dollar question, right? Like where, what do you buy? How do you find deals? And in this competitive market, is it possible to still buy in Ontario? Well, yes, it is, right? Now, when you say deals, are you talking about residential or the multifamily buildings? The multifamily. The multifamily, I guess. You know, let's, let's focus on that right now since that seems to be sort of where you were going with your, you know, your passion and expertise and what you, what you like to buy. Okay, so I won't share a certain company online, but if people contact you and you choose to share this actual company with them, then um, that will be worth them contacting you. But there are a couple of companies that I can buy um, their database. And it's actually not a database. It's I have access to all the properties that have sold in, let's say, Ontario for the last 20 years. And they just this company pulls title, and they know exactly who sold the multifamily building. They know exactly uh, what it sold for. And they have the phone number of the actual person who, who bought the building. Because if you pull title, you won't get the phone number. If you go to... You know, uh, Purview, you won't get their phone number. If you go to Geo Warehouse, you won't get their phone number. But these programs that you can buy access to, they're like $6,000 a year. So it does cost a bit of money to get that. And that gives you phone numbers. That's one way to do it, the easy way to do it. The harder way is obviously as you're living your life and you're driving from point A to point B, you have a behavior. And for most of my life, I've had a behavior where if I see a potential good building, I behave myself by stopping and buzzing a buzzer and talking to the superintendent or taking down the phone number on the sign. Or um, if I see someone who looks like an owner, somehow owners, you can tell their owners, I'll stop my car and I'll talk to them right there on the spot. I'll tell you what I say to them in a second. But I always build in, if I'm going somewhere for 11 o'clock, I don't leave at 10, I leave at 9.30. I build in 30 minutes into my window of travel. So when I see an opportunity, I stop on the dime I do a left wheel or a right wheel, park my car, get out, walk up to that place and buzz. And I say, hi, I'm looking for the property owner of this building. It's a beautiful building. And uh, from that point of view, I can give my name. I can talk to the owner who's there. And I say to them, I want to buy your building. I just walk up to them and they say to me, well, it's not for sale. I go, I know it's not for sale, but I do want to buy it. 
And if they say they're not interested, that's okay. I'll say, do you have anything else that you want to sell? Then they might say no. And I'll say, okay, they're still growing. And if they're still growing, I'll say, okay, let me know about what you're doing because I might see something that I can't buy that maybe you can buy. And if I know they're growing, I may grab something under contract and I might assign it to them. I have a building right now. It's a 17 unit in Oshawa for $2.7 million that I'm going to assign for $100,000. Because I have it on the contract, I'm not going to buy it probably. I'm going to assign it. And who am I going to assign it to? Some of those same owners who said we're not selling. And by the way, if they're not selling, I might say to them, let me ask you a question. Seems like you've been doing this for a long time. I say, yeah. I go, do you ever lose the bug? Do you ever lose the bug of investing? And they say to me, no, you don't lose the bug. So why aren't you still growing? I'm old. Hey, I'm not. I have arms and legs still. I'm young. Why don't you live vicariously through me? I'll be your arms and legs. And if you have access to money through all your equity, you know what? Maybe we can do something like that. Maybe we can talk about that. Maybe we can join venture. So you see how I turn a, hey, I want to buy your building. No. Anything else? No. Are you still growing? No. You ever thought of, you know, are you going to continue doing this forever? If you want to, but you can't. Let me be your arms and legs. I can turn that conversation into something, right? And then sometimes they'll say, yeah, make me an offer. And I'll say, well, I can't just make an offer. Let me get a few numbers first so I, I respect you. And then I plant the seed in their minds. And you'd be surprised that they said no, but when they start thinking about it, thinking about the money they can spend, then they're begging me for the offer after. Now, today people are ridiculous when it comes to prices. They want a hell of a lot more than what the properties are worth. But still, if you get them off market and you get the right person, which I'll say one out of every five people who says, yes, they want to sell, is reasonably enough for me to buy it, then I would. But that's how I do it. It's that simple. And I tell people this. Like I have my own theme music, which means when I'm driving, if I don't feel like getting out of the car and talking to somebody, I put on my theme song. It's a certain amount of drums. It's a drum beat. I feel like a cool guy. And I hear my theme music, and I hear it in my head as I'm walking to the door. <laughs> and it motivates me. <laughs> I was telling Sarah Larby about this. Uh, in 1972, I saw a movie or a show called Shaft. And this guy, Richard Roundtree, he was, he was a detective. And whenever he walked on TV, he had theme music in the background. So I have my theme music. I play it for a few seconds. Okay, cut my cut my myself in gear. Now I walk to the house. I'll stop. I'll act upon it at that moment in time. So big long thing to say to you is you got to act on it in that instant, and you'll discover people are waiting for you. And they say to me, "I was praying for somebody. I was thinking about selling it, but now that you've talked to me, maybe I might sell it." Yeah, yeah, right. And that's really what it is, isn't it? And I would say, you know, that's one of your strengths is being creative in any situation. And you know, a normal person would just, you know, once the 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 owner would say no, you you know, they would just walk away, right? Yeah. But you have so many different angles that you would persistence, you know, yeah. And you're persistent in because yeah, there there's so many other options that might be possible for them right so that's what i what i love about uh, you know, your your methods and i don't know where that comes from uh, but uh maybe your military background but it's 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 like you're relentless when it comes to what you you know you're pursuing an opportunity you know you're so right and then what i do is but i'm not pushy i'll say okay just before i go oh you know what um by the way, have you thought about this? Oh, okay, fantastic. So thank you very much uh, for your time. I know you're busy. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Oh, oh by the way. So I kind of just throw things on the side. And now, have people ever been mean to me? I remember one guy was mean to me. He was like, get off my property. I go, oh, my God, you're the meanest person I've ever met. You really hurt my feelings. All of a sudden, he became nice. <laughs> I know, he didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> I says, man, you're so mean. You hurt my feelings. You know, gosh, you're probably the meanest man in Canada. And he goes, really? I go, yeah. He goes, what do you want? And I go, well, I want your property. <laughs> Back to what you want, right? <laughs> but you have to have a good time doing it. That's what I'm talking about. A good attitude, a, a, have fun doing it. 
And when my my daughter hangs out with me and hangs around with me and she watches me do this stuff, she gets back in the car with me, she just shakes her head, says, Dad, you're so embarrassing. But she's learning it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and, and that's what pe- most people are just too comfortable to do anything outside the norm, right? They're they're gonna like real, the path of least resistance, yes, right? It, it, and you know, and, and that's not the path of least resistance. <laughs> that's like you but, said, having to get out of your car and have a conversation that you might not want to have at that moment, right? Have it. It's just like any kind of a you know, every opportunity is basically goes back to you know our sales, right? Are you sales always gets you out of your comfort zone and that's how you grow. And after a while it becomes normal. Yes. But it's, you know, most people aren't willing to do the work, right? Yes. And it goes back to the entitlement that you talked about where a lot of young people today, they just want what they want. And, you know, I have students who come to me and they want me, they want to hire me, but I don't actually take them on because they literally think that just because they hire a mentor and if they pay a lot of money, for instance, by paying money, they're going to get a result. And that's not how it is. They actually have to do the work. And it does take some time. People hate me when I say it takes about 12 years to get to a point in real estate investing where you can probably walk away from your job and actually, you know, live on that real estate. Now, some people can walk away from their job in two years to continue on real estate investing, which is a job to a certain degree, right? You know, but it's not like one year get rich. People think. Yeah. No, you know, unfortunately, the, a lot of people don't want to hear that because you know, we live in that instant gratification world. Everybody wants to get rich quickly, right? Yeah, they want to leave their own. What can I do? What, can, what strategy can I employ so I can quit in two years? And the answer is like, none, <laughs> right? So going back to that, before we started this conversation, we had a little bit of a chat offline and you, you know, you told us how old you are and, you know, it sounds like uh, several years, you're probably, you're in your mid fifties now, when you were in your early fifties, it sounds like you were already financially free. Uh, you could have retired, but you're still going. What keeps you motivated now? And I mean, what, what is it, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? Do you have goals? Do you have a vision for the next several years? Like, what is it that, you know, what is it that keeps you going right now? Well, it's important that, um, I'll answer it this way. One of my favorite TV shows when I was growing up was a show called Star Trek. And there's a captain who is in a captain's chair and he's on the bridge. And as long as you're a captain and you're on the bridge, you make a difference. The moment you decide not to be on that bridge, you don't make a difference anymore. And for me, I liked investing because it gave me the freedom to do the things I want to do and the money to do the things I want to do when I want to do it. But if I were just to stop working at 45, for instance, and just decided to live an incredible life and just please myself, I would lose relevance. And for me, it's always been the fact that I never want to be not relevant, to not make a difference. I want to make a difference. And I want to, so when I reach 95 years old and I'm ready to go, and why do I say 95? Because, you know, you don't want to outlive your kids, right? So... <laughs> When I get to about 94, 95, I want to be where I'm at the point where like, you know what, please, I want to go. I've done everything that I can do. This life of being a caterpillar, I'm tired of it. I need to be the butterfly now. So I don't want to meet death afraid and and sad of what I didn't do. I want to meet death and saying, my God, where have you been? I'm ready to move on. And that's why I don't just retire and, and just relax. I like to grow. You know, like I said, every morning I'm learning Spanish. And then next month I'll start to learn Russian. And then I'll learn some Chinese. And that growth keeps me young. In fact, I'm not young, but I still feel young, you know, <laughs> because I'm always growing, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's ultimately age is just a number, right? <laughs> I mean, there's uh, people that are in their 60s and they're still like in that full throttle mode, you know, that's right. Pedal to the metal kind of people. So it, it's really, uh, it's all personal preference and, and, and your, your mindset, I guess. And that's very true. And I have a lot of people who come to me today. Surprisingly, most of the students who come to me are female between 45 and 55. 
And they see their lives as being 12 chapters, and they see the life that right now they're at chapter nine. In the past, somebody got married, and that was, you saw all 12 chapters. That was it. It was one big chapter. But now, at 55, 45, 55, the kids have moved out, they've gone to school. Now they're saying to themselves, is this all? Now I'm just going to live three boring chapters for the rest of my life? No, they want to write some chapters. They want chapter 10 to be exciting, chapter 11 to be exciting, chapter 12 to be exciting. And a great way to do that is to find someone who's building real estate property, invest with them. So you don't have to be the expert, but you can get profit from that to then fund your life. Or find somebody who's buying the, 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 the multifamily buildings and you can fund that, which helps you to build the wealth you need to be able to write chapter 10, 11, and 12. So a lot of people who come to me are not as, as much into, I want to really be a real estate investor. They want to understand investing. But they want to know who to invest with in order to uh, build that portfolio or to buy into some sort of a building so then they can rewrite some of the next chapters of their life. Does that sort of make sense? Yes, yes. And it's, it's, a, it's huge. People are coming to me today for that. Yeah. Yeah, so um, maybe you can just touch on that a little bit and tell us about how, you know, how do you work? How do you fund your deals? Are you actively looking for partners, investors? And, um, you know, what, what does that, what does that all look like? How do you, how do you fund your deals? Well, a lot of people would go to real estate clubs to meet other investors who want to invest money. And that's a great way to do it. This year, it's been a bit more difficult for me because the way I fund deals is by going to gala events. So let's say that, um, a certain hospital is having a, a large party for doctors and nurses. I might go to a bank opening. I might go to an art gallery. I might go to the Mississauga Arts Council. They have all these different events coming up. I might go to fashion shows. So I find most of my heavy investors where people gather not to invest. They gather to, to enjoy art, to donate to the community, and to give back. And when people see me there and I'm at a table with them and I'm talking to them or I may be standing up and speaking to them, they tend to tell me things like, you know what, life is good, but they want something a bit extra. And when they ask me what I do, I say I do a bit extra. And I help them to do the things they want to do because so many people made a decision when they were 19 to get into a career and that career became their life. And sometimes they invested so much money and effort into learning like 10 years and then another 10, 20 years in it they are saying to themselves, can I do something else? Or can I stay here and still have money on the side? And in that, having that conversation with heavy net well-to-do people, they tend to be the ones who fund my deals. And I'd rather say to somebody, okay, tell you what, you know what, it's 2 million bucks. Is that in your ballpark? And they'll say, yeah, it's in my ballpark. That's a lot easier than talking to 10 people to raise 2 million. Now, just really quickly, I remember, Jose, I may have told you this. When people go looking for money at their level, right, they think at their level. But the person who has a lot of money is on the 10th floor. So somebody approaches me and says they want me to invest. And they'll say, well, my project's got good, uh, good cash flow. My project's got uh, good, good return on investment. It's a good location. I have experience. But that doesn't mean anything to me. What I want to hear is, first of all, how are you going to liability protect me on your project? If anything goes wrong, how am I going to be protected? Because I'm 10 feet up. If I fall, I'm going to fall a long way. Rich people like to be rich. They can't handle being poor. They can't handle losing their money. Yeah. So you need to talk to me about how you're going to protect me liability-wise. Then you have to show me how your project is going to be smart tax-wise to me. And then you have to show me what exits I have. Not that I'm going to take those exits, but I need to know there's some exits along the way. And then you have to tell me you have systems, systems in place on why they're great, because systems survive even when someone is sick. And then you have to show me why you. And once you've earned that respect, you've taken care of my fears. Now you can tell me about return on investment. Now you can tell me about it's a great project, it's a great area, and so on and so forth. And that's why people can't raise money. Because they look at it from their perspective, what would I need? But they just don't have that mindset of having tons of money, right? So that's why I always say, if you want to get involved in real estate, you could always find somebody who's building something, 
and invest with them. You can find somebody who's buying multifamily properties and invest with them, learn the process. And then at the same time, you know, uh, when it comes to raising money, you have to realize that when you're at different levels, you see different things. You know, does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Especially that part where you talked about, you know, the five, I think it was the five points of, you know, how you would talk to them and, 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 you know, the tax part, right? Like investors don't right. think like that. Investors are just thinking a lot of investors. I shouldn't say investors. A lot of investors are thinking pure technical logistics, you know, that's right. And, and the fact is I've been sued before and I've had to pay a hell of a lot of taxes before and I've seen systems crumble in front of me. Right. And I've seen no exit strategies. So therefore, at my level, if you want me to invest, you got to think that way. But most people don't think that way because they haven't been through that. yet. So, you know, speak of that same. Uh, what is you, would you say is the best tip to build relationships with the, with these investors because i know oftentimes it's not going to happen uh on that first meeting right um or you may not have the deal lined up for them so how do you maintain that relationship and and stay relevant yeah, that's a very very good question you cannot convince a person who has money that you are good for the money you have to behave them into it which means the way you behave in your everyday life and the way you treat them, that behavior, which means you might have that coffee, not to talk about investment, just to talk about life. And then you may end up, uh, you know, grabbing their favorite bread. Say, yeah, I'm in a certain area. I'm getting some pastries. You know what? Uh, why don't I pop by the office? You know, just simple little small things. Getting to know where they're going to be at a certain time. If you know they're going to an equestrian show or they're going to some event, you know, you find out what event they go to, and then you show up to that event and you end up talking to them. But I don't talk to them about investing. I let them understand, first of all, that I'm committed to my daughter. I'm committed to my faith. I'm committed to my health. I'm committed to my country. I'm committed to my, my you know, financial well-being. And when they learn that you have commitment, then they believe you are committed. You cannot tell somebody that you are smart. In fact, if I tell you that I'm smart, if I say I'm the smartest guy in the world and I'm smarter than all the generals, guess what? Only a dummy has to tell you they're smart. Okay? If you're smart enough, you won't have to say it. So a lot of people who try to raise money, they try to meet these people and try to tell them stuff. But no, the way you live your life, the way you handle crisis, the way you behave, the way you might give them a call just to say, hey, how's your day going? You know, just a few little words. And then you have to be sneaky sometimes. Like, you know where a doctor works at a doctor's office, especially the ones that are not in the hospital. You know exactly where their car is parked because they have a, you know, they have a name on the little thing. Guess what? Follow them to the bakery. <laughs> After work, right? Yeah. And then bump it to them. Okay, follow them to the dry cleaner. It's like, hey, you dry clean here too? Now, of course, I'm, I'm getting a little bit crazy here, but I'm just saying, and by the way, I've done that before, you know, but you just have to be where they are sometimes and then but behave yourself in a, a manner that they respect you. And then you don't have to talk to them about the opportunity. They'll ask you. That's what I found. Yeah. And you're right. It takes time. Exactly. Yeah. Fostering those relationships. Um, yeah. No one's going to hand over two million bucks at, uh, you know, over a drink at a gala, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think we, we, we covered lots of really interesting things. You're definitely, definitely an interesting guy, Matthew. You, you, you have so much experience and, and such a unique take on it. Um, you don't hear a lot of other real estate investors talk about this stuff, right? So I think it's really refreshing and really, really important, like Jose said. What I wanted to ask you was, um, do you have a special quote or a specific thing that, you know, you, you sort of live by words of wisdom um, that you can share with us? Is there a specific quote or just something of your own that you would you would like to share? Yeah, my quote that I live by that I've, I've heard is fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors the bold. It's how I became a developer. I couldn't find a, a company out here in Ontario to teach me. And I found a co company in Alberta that we're building. And I said to them, I'd like to come out there and show you guys how to raise money. If I can spend time on your job sites. And they said to me, don't come out. And that was a Wednesday. I jumped on a plane by the Tuesday, Houghton Airport, 
I flew out to Alberta, to Edmonton, and I showed up to the office and I said, hey, I just flew three and a half hours, 3,000 kilometers, and I will have an hour of your time. And they said, wait a minute, who said don't come out and you came out? I go, I came out. I need that hour of your time. Well, guess what? That hour became four hours, and I'm a 25% owner of that company, and I've, I've had an opportunity to learn to build through them. So I think we make our future. There are things that happen to us that are out of our control. That's true. But the fact is, you know what? Got to be bold. I don't want, like I said, I don't want to be 95 years old and say to myself, I should have, would have, could have. I'd rather say, I did it. I, done, I'm, I did it. I'm done. And I'm ready to go. So that's my way of living. Fortune favors the bold. I yeah, I it. like it too. <laughs> I think that's so great. And, it, 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 and it's so suited to your life so far, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely a great reflection of your world. And, and like I said, I, I think you're just, you're just so refreshing because you're so different. I mean, you, you talk to, a, we, we talk to a lot of people and it's like, oh, you know, be conservative, do what you're good at, like, you know, stay within your lane. And then, you know, you get this perspective that's like, nope, you know, you got to be bold. You got to be brave. Yeah. You got to take some risks sometimes, calculated risks, but you got to, you got to make moves, big moves to get big places. Right. Which is, for me, exciting. I think that's an exciting way to live. Exactly. And, you know, if I screw up or mess up, I say, hey, I screwed up. I messed up. I pay my due. So I come even with the house. I go to the back of the line and I work my way up from the back. And with that attitude, you know what? I suddenly come across people who stay angry at me. And when you you do something and you're afraid and you say something and you mess up, guess what? You smile. People have a hard time being mad at somebody who's smiling the hardest thing to do so there's nothing to fear just smile i'm sorry hope i didn't mess your day up uh it's a pleasure spending this time with you but i have the right attitude the, the wrong attitude would be you know what i screwed up but if you are remembered in history is because of this moment i spent with you that's the wrong attitude right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, i'm honored to be in your presence hope i didn't mess up your day and, uh, hey, I want to buy your property. It's a good property. I tried. And th then they say to me, well, you know what? Tell you what, come on back. I know somebody who might want to sell that property. Here's a number. Right. Like, uh, thank you. Yeah, just it's all about building building those relationships, right? It, you never know where they're going to lead. So I think, you know, we had a, lot, a great conversation, lots of great tidbits. Um, I, I learned a lot from you. And uh, I think Jose's learned a tremendous amount from you during his time um, getting to know you better. So what I wanted to ask you was, is there, if uh, any of our listeners want to contact you, I know that you do offer limited um, coaching services for certain people. You have investment opportunities that you're working on. Uh, how do people get in touch with you? How do they learn more about what you're doing? What's the best way for people to reach out? Well, the best way is to head to my website. It's um, rccsol.com. And on there, there's a section that has free has a few free videos just to get to know my thoughts on certain things. Then it also has um, some podcasts like this, where I've had an opportunity to share my thoughts and opinions, the goods and the bads about life. And they can check out the podcast, or they can always, always email me at Matthew with one T, M-A-T-H-W. So M-A-T-H-W dot F at R-C-C-S-O-L.com. A lot of people just don't know what to do right now. There's a lot of confusion. There's too much information out there. So if your listeners want to have maybe a one-hour conversation, because I am semi-retired, I'll have that one-hour conversation to help them structure their thoughts. Um, I didn't get a chance to say, like, Jose, you impressed me like you won't believe. I wish I was where you were, where you are, when I was your age. And the fact that you guys are a team, I think is very, very impressive. Like, Jose, you go out there, and you are working on lots of different things, right? So few people are like that. And obviously, to do that, you have to have a, a good support system. And uh, you have that together, right? You know, but the bottom line is, if somebody wants to just do a phone call or email me, I'll give them a call. We'll do a 30-minute chat just to help realign them. Uh, because sometimes they should be passive investors. Sometimes they should be active. And it's a conversation that if they want to have that, I'll do that with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll put uh, all your contact information in our show notes. I think that 
any investor who's listening, if someone's offering their time to you, and, and and there's so many great investors like yourself who are willing to give back and to help people because of all of your experience and everything you've been through. If I was starting out again, I would definitely grab that. Like that is the most valuable thing you can get, whether you know, you have to pay for it, whatever you have to do that, that mentorship and, and, and speaking to somebody like yourself, I think is, is, it's actually priceless. So we'll put all that information in the, in the show notes. If anybody wants to reach out, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Um, thank you, it Matthew, was, for was, sharing 30 years of wisdom with us. <laughs> um, really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to tracking your journey. I'm sure there's going to be more to come. So, and, uh, yeah, maybe we, you can hand, oh, you can share your uh, Instagram handle as well. Uh, it's actually rccsol dot investor. Dot investor. Okay. Yeah. We'll put, we'll put that stuff in the show notes and yeah, definitely uh, people can uh, start following you and, and reach out. And I make sure if they do email me, they mention you guys, just so that I know, okay, you know what? I was on this show and I'm, I'm helping them out because I know you guys, right? So, you know, that conversation. Yeah, definitely say that you uh, heard the interview on, on our podcast and uh, Matthew will be happy to talk to you. All right. Well, thanks again, Matthew. Well, it's, it's been a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.